0: to the Screaming Pods Network.
1: Welcome to the Screamcast, episode 155. I am Sean Deregger. Today we have a special interview episode. What The reason why is because I was trying to put these two interviews into the next episode, but we uh, have been having such a hell of a time trying to get everyone together for this next episode. In the meantime, I have recorded two interviews. Uh, Stephanie Crawford joined me for an interview with, uh, with Phil Nobile Jr., editor in chief uh, and creative director of Fangoria. And then Brad Henderson joined me to talk to director Todd sheets. He's a director of films. Uh, most recently bone Hill road. We also talk about his crowdfunding for his upcoming film clownado. So some fun stuff on this episode today, uh, Pretty shortly, probably within a week, maybe even less than a week, our uh, our full episode will appear. Uh, it'll be episode one fifty six. It'll be another full episode. You're going to get two episodes back to back since we've been so off and on lately. So uh, stay tuned for that. Excited! I'm excited to uh, to dive into the next the next episode. We're going to be talking about uh, 1986 film called Link. To be talking about a Japanese film, Mon 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 Monsters, and then we're going to be talking about Scream Factory's Blu ray release of The Gate 2. So, some good stuff coming your way uh, within a few days. A lot of you have been asking, you know, where's BJ? Why hasn't BJ joined you on on shows? Uh, We've, you know, scheduling has been crazy. Uh, She's been pretty busy. She's been doing a lot of theater stuff, um, and she's gearing up for more Powerbomb stuff. So she has decided to move kind of into a guest host capacity. She'll be joining us on our vinegar syndrome episodes, still doing her back room. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, as, as time allows, she may be in as in and out as kind of a, a guest host. So she hasn't uh, been, you know, gone anywhere per se. Uh, she's just moving into a different capacity with uh, with the podcast. And, uh, you know, she's doing a lot of exciting things. So we wish her all the best. On that, and uh, she'll be back. She will be uh, making some appearances. All right. Well, let's jump into today's episode. I hope you guys enjoy. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter, Scream underscore Cast, and uh, keep in keep in touch with us over at thescreamcast.com for anything else.
2: Welcome to the world of terror when i'm not busy embalming bodies which isn't often i like to relax with some good family reading let me introduce
1: you to my personal library of Fangoria, the leader
2: in horror entertainment what a fascinatingly hideous cover of freddy krueger and devilishly candid reviews of the latest
1: horror videos and gloriously bloody color photos from the newest friday the 13th they're all here in Fangoria. Can I persuade you to subscribe? i Ah, oh, let the dead bodies wait. Joining us right now on the screencast is the editor-in-chief and creative director of Fangoria. Phil Nobile, Jr., joins us right now. Phil, thank you for, uh, for taking the time.
3: Thanks for having me. How are you guys?
1: We're good. We're... Uh, I think Stephanie's probably just like, like me, we're anxiously awaiting the button to subscribe, to give you money for this relaunch of, of Fangoria. So
3: give me that money. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think by the time this airs, the subscriptions will be open. Perfect. You're going to go to Fangoria.com as of May 1st, uh, 3 PM Eastern, and you'll be able to subscribe and you'll get a, a nice shiny new Fangoria every three months in your mailbox. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, nice. What? So to
1: me, like this is kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a huge uh, undertaking When I would, would even think about it. Cause when we started hearing, you know, Fangoria kind of having trouble and uh, possibly going away, um, there's kind of like this death rattle throughout, you know, uh, the whole horror community and, and everything. The end and, of an and, era. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it felt like <laughs> because I remember, you know, some of my friends when I was a kid, their older brothers, of course, always had copies of Fangoria and we'd always be looking through them and everything. And so it's definitely a huge, you know, uh, building block on my on my fandom of of horror. So, um, so when you guys came in, what was I guess what led up to that? What was the kind of the the challenges that came your way when you decided to kind of take this monster on? Because it's a it's a big deal, and it, and frankly, it would probably scare the shit out of me to take something like that like that on.
3: Sure. Well, you know, the publisher, uh, his story with this magazine is a little longer than mine, but I think (laughs) he was, he was in the works for about a year trying to buy it from the previous owner who had, uh, you know, had some difficulties getting it published at the end. Um, and that's, you know, that's, uh, I think that was just a marketplace thing. That was uh, a concern with trying to get a magazine out 10 times a year onto the newsstands and you're competing with, the internet news cycle. And I think that's just a losing game. I think that's not something that you can expect to do and succeed at in 2018. Or I mean, I guess 2016 is when they finally closed shop. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and, and it's a drag because Fango was putting out some pretty good content up until the end there. I, you know, the guys that were working under those conditions did their best and did, did a really uh, pretty solid job of putting out a magazine under, let's say less than optimal conditions um but that said when we took it over the it was it would have been insane to say okay let's pick it up where it left off because you know picking it up where it left off would have been inheriting all of the same publication challenges and the same <clears throat> issues of competing with the internet news cycle so it's not that it's we're not picking it up where it left off we're we're kind of reimagining the magazine in in a way that makes sense uh for today So, uh, as the first step was to make it a quarterly, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not trying to get news out every, every so often it's a quarterly, it's more of a film journal. It's going to be deeper dives, long reads, um, access to filmmakers, uh, hopefully in the first person telling their own stories, which is something I'm excited about. There's going to be an archeological element to it where we are. Because one of the challenges was how do we keep talking about these movies that we've been talking about for 30 years? What's left to say? Mm-hmm. And that's not a and that's not an admission of defeat. It was a challenge. What is left to say? And and I've got writers who have went and found things out about some of our favorite franchises that we've never heard before. I'm super excited about that part of this magazine, um, and it's uh, and it's about finding uh, creating a space where people who you might not have heard writing about horror films before have a place to do that and kind of stretch and not and not be reliant on a <clears throat> a uh, i don't know I, I, a, gosh a goldfish memory of the internet where it's <laughs> we're just we're just passing links around and I, you wonder half the time if anybody's reading the articles or just here's a link and here's a like and here's a retweet like right. here's a right. here's a hunt here's 100 pages where you can just turn off the friggin internet for 2 hours every 3 months and just sit and read some really good writing about the films you love and the films that you don't know you love yet but you're going to when you read about them Awesome. How's that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
4: good. So, are these Fangoria's ones I could actually put on my bookshelf and refer back to, basically?
3: Ooh. Absolutely. That's that's a. That was one of the decisions. I, I wish we had cameras rolling when we were visiting a printer in Dallas. This very nice gentleman who runs a a print shop in Dallas that puts out you know political pamphlets and catalogs and stuff sat there listening to us raving about it needs to be this and it needs to look like this and 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 we we he he's listened to all of our notes and we have created a handsome it's called perfect bound so it has a spine so it's it's not stapled in the middle it's going to be a perfect bound edition that is printed on like really nice paper and cardstock and it's going to like hold up and you know it's It's going to look great on your bookshelf is the short answer, but it's also going to sort of, if you put it in a pile of Fangoria's, the dimensions of that, that our new book will match the original Fangoria. So there's a, there's a certain amount of legacy and a certain amount of evolution happening Mm -hmm. with, with, with the physical copy that I'm pretty excited about.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. And I mean, I'm, I'm a huge hoarder of physical media. So having something that I can refer back to is, is, is great. And, Something that something that I love because I I get completely overwhelmed with the Internet news culture in general, Uh, entertainment, the horror community stuff back and forth. And it to me just gets overwhelming. And I don't even like even when I started up this uh, when when Brad Henderson and I were starting up this podcast we were trying to hit, even keep up with the new cycle or even if like the new release Blu-ray cycle. And it was just, I was like, this is not what I want to do. I want to take yeah. my time and kind of just put out a, just a fun podcast that people can listen to. And, and that, that new cycle is, is kind of a beast of its own. So it's it's great to hear that how you guys are going to wrangle that into more thoughtful pieces. And I was, that was going to be one of my questions was how, how are you guys going to do that? And, and, and you answered it. And that, and that even makes this even more appealing and even more like, Worth my money. Mm -hmm. I think we
3: can. I think we can admit that the internet's kind of terrible, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like not you guys. You two, you two are great. But beyond, (laughs) no,
4: we're part of the nightmare.
3: You're part of the problem. Uh, It it just gets to be a lot, and and you know, the more we thought about it, the more we leaned into it. It was like, man, imagine if we if we presented ourselves as an alternative to the internet, and I think that that's something that's in the air. I think that you see people, you know, buying mm-hmm. vinyl and you th- you see people kind of uh, deleting Facebook, which is, am- I did it four <laughs> years ago and now everybody's catching up to me. It's amazing. Um, I think that we need to recognize that we can't always be on the internet and we need to like be, you know, offline once in a while. And it's so weird that like Fang- Fangoria, which is in so many ways responsible for, Online horror culture, just the way we talk about horror films and the way we write about horror films, so much of it is tied directly to Fango's DNA from back in the day. But the idea that I'm presenting Fangory as some sort of healthy alternative to the Internet is uh, perversely (laughs) pleasing to me.
1: How how are you guys going to – what's great about horror movies is there's that kind of nostalgic piece to all of us when we were raised uh, in uh, on horror and, and especially in the eighties and and the, you know, celebration of kind of uh, physical uh, and practical effects and things like that. And Fangoria at the time, I think helped, helped with that. Like it was kind of a celebration of the creation (laughs) of these films. Um, And I'm, I'm assuming you guys are going to keep that going, but, um, but how, how would you, how would you wrangle outside of the nostalgic, aspect of it do you see this as a way as bringing younger the younger generation up with the new films as well like how are you gonna, how are you going to balance the nostalgic and new it's a
3: good question we we ask ourselves that question every day i think and <laughs> it's it's um it's an important part of 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 figuring out what we're doing you said something earlier about uh about the way fango like was a, a an into f- uh, filmmaking, you know, as I I read it in the '80s. Right, mm-hmm. here's here's my brief history of me and Fango. I was terrified of horror movies. The first movie I remember seeing was The Exorcist. I saw it at the drive-in in 1974, wow. and it was, you know, it made a mark on me. I saw American Werewolf in London on my 11th birthday, and it scared the shit out of me. And I saw The Thing, and I was afraid of my dog afterwards. <laughs> and it, it, Fangoria became this way to not be afraid of horror movies. Yes. If Fangoria was a way of like, oh. Here's a guy. His name's Rob Bottin. He's making this thing. Here's George Romero. He's using editing to make this scene make sense. And and it it was a a no shit a a film school for me. It it made me understand the craft of filmmaking, and it made me understand that like oh this movie's kind of gory trash. But here's John Carpenter, who's putting a little extra into it and he's he's got something to say it taught me the difference between good and bad horror even though even as i came to appreciate both Mm -hmm. um so i i would love for the new fango to be that for a new generation i don't know if it is i mean i think it's awesome that we're in print i think it's awesome that we're we're uh, committing to a print only version um whether or not a younger audience buys into that i'm not sure but i i hope that they do and i hope that when they open it, they find that it is the same sort of like uh like Willy Wonka-esque, you know, ticket into a, a whole new way of understanding how films get made. But we to to answer your question more specifically, we are very much invested in doing effects-centric pieces, sometimes even like tutorial stuff of here's how Tate Steinsick made this throat slash from A to Z, right? Mm-hmm. It, with pictures of the whole the whole steps along the way. I was at Monster Palooza in Los Angeles uh, a couple mm. weeks ago, and met some amazing makeup <laughs> artists. I can't, I can't even, I can't believe what people are doing today with silicone and whatnot. I, I was using like liquid latex as a kid, and I never, I never got past the foam latex era. But these guys are making just amazing things with with all new materials, and it's uh, it's an exciting time for practical effects. I think people are are uh, quick to say, oh, CGI is everywhere and it's ruining everything, but but practical is better than it's ever been. And yeah. I really want to highlight it in the magazine. I'm excited for that.
1: Yeah. I was, I was talking to uh, Wes West ball, a director of uh, maze runner, the maze runner trilogy. And he mm-hmm. had the same approach, the The blend. He said right now, the, the best time to be a director and in filmmaking with special effects is now because the blend of practical with the proper blend of, of CGI, you know, it's, it's a really exciting time to be in that toolbox.
3: Yeah. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine how freeing it must be for filmmakers to have, you know, to be able to create an amazing practical effect. And if you need CGI to kind of, you know, make it blink or give it a little oomph or something, it's, it's, it's gotta be like a kid in the candy store feeling. Yeah, Awesome. Mm -hmm. No.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's how I got over my fear of horror movies too. And I think I was in a library and I think it was, it had to have been an issue of Fangoria or some picture book or some behind the scenes book on one of the nightmare on Elm street. Films, I think it's not mm-hmm. nightmare on Elm street Two, And seeing how they did the effect of, uh, Freddie crawling out of uh, the guy's stomach, you know, uh, yeah. really kind of dissolved that fear. And then I saw that the special effects aspect of it. And that really kind of, um, took, took that fear away from me. It was really cool. And that just kind of started my journey of looking in, in the special effects. Stephanie, sorry, did I interrupt you? Were you going to ask something?
4: Oh no, I just I saw you didn't want the magazine to be stuffed with ads and I think that's wonderful. But one thing I think would be great to bring back would be the advertisement for Tom Savini's Effects School. That was always <laughs> in every issue. You know, I would it just, was like study that and dream. It was
3: in every issue that 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 you read. There was no Tom Savini Effects School when I was reading uh Fango, but you know there's <clears throat> you bring up an interesting point in that there's there's a certain nostalgia for ads right and and so we we could be boastful and say there won't be any ads but i think part of the legacy is, is something that you just hit on is that there there should be some ads but they need to be the right ads
4: mm-hmm. how about um, back pages where readers could do little messages and maybe some tape trading maybe you could bring back <laughs> tape trading something to think about
3: tape trading. Uh, it's possible. I, I do, I would love to bring back the classifieds. I would love to bring back the way that when you subscribed, you got a free classified in the back. Um, we're going to experiment with something like that, I think, but I also, <clears throat> I also, we, so we sat around the office when, when we first dived into this thing and, and, and looked at, we had, I had a Fango number one in my hands and I had a Fango number I don't know, 337 in my hands and we saw the evolution of the magazine and it's just that by the end they were selling every spare corner of the thing to mm-hmm. ads and <clears throat> that's a financial choice and that's that's something that they they needed to do and and you know no shade on that at all but we're in a space now where the the version of the magazine we're creating doesn't need to do that so we want to kind of restore it to closer to the 80s model where it, the ads were kind of curated and the ads made a kind of sense i opened an issue that just had a porn ad in it and it wasn't <laughs> and it wasn't horror porn it was just porn and <clears throat> and that that's something i'm looking to get away from I, I don't i don't think that part part of our reset i think needs to be that fango needs to be horror not horror adjacent not horror lifestyle it needs to sort of focus on the content of of uh horror narratives, whether that's storytelling, whether that's artwork, whether that's uh, horror fiction or filmmaking. I, I want to make it about the content of horror again, and not about all the ancillary stuff and the, uh, not, not renting every third page to an, uh, a self-published novel is (laughs) part of that.
1: Well, that's what kept me from kind of keeping up with magazines was I would have a sliver of content and then just be flipping through ads, you know, and that, and that really, kind of sealed the deal on me not really subscribing to anything, not really picking up any uh, magazines as I went by uh, in the supermarket or whatever, just because of that, that mindset of the the ad, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, I, I really get it. Just even doing podcasts and websites, it's like, I don't want to do ads, you know, at all. And we're not big enough for anyone to really want to do a whole lot of ads anyway, but, um, Shh,
4: Don't tell him that.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, I mean no, yeah, you we guys have, sorry, we have 17,000 subscribers. Oh um, no. <laughs> but no, but the I always I don't like ads. Like I've never <clears throat> uh, I get I guess a plethora of ads uh over overtaking everything. Um it's like drag, you know, sure. Like Stephanie said like if it like I, I remember like like you know magazines like Nintendo power and things like that, that had really cool big spreads of an ad that were, that was awesome. And you look back at those and they were, it was just a fun, a fun ad. It wasn't, it was, it was a well composed and fun picture with the you know, information about the product they're selling. And, um, that stuff I'm fine, fine with, but, but you know, you see it on online and everything with websites, pop up ads and everything. Are you guys going to be using fangoria.com to do anything like, keep up with current events? Or are you going to leave that to kind of all these, I mean, there's a, a good amount of other horror sites out there, but what, what's your guys' plan for the online content?
3: There's, there's a, there's a 2.0 plan or a year two plan that, <clears throat> that will involve kind of, uh, using that space in an, in an interesting and exciting way that, Will will not be what it was. It will not be. Here's a news article, and here's a trailer, and here's a Blu-ray cover art. Uh, I, as you say, that's. I feel like that's covered, right? Yeah. I don't. I um. I don't think we need to do that. There's certainly there's plenty out there. I think our focus is going to more be on a social media presence, interacting with our readers through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our website will be for the time being where you can sign up for a subscription and. And probably also le- you know learn about the contents of, of the uh, the latest issue. Mm-hmm. But we will not. What's in our magazine is exclusive to the magazine. It, we will not be putting articles from the magazine on the website. We will not be repurposing stuff from the internet for the magazine. It's like I I, I I've said this a bunch of times, but. You know, as a kid, Fangoria was this thing I had to hunt down and I coveted coveted it and it was special and there was nothing else like it. (laughs) So the the main goal for me is to recreate that feeling in a 2018 reader. And the way to do that is exclusivity. And the way Mm -hmm. to do that is to make it special and unique. And it's the the only place to find what you're finding in there. Uh, So the bleeding into the website and whatnot just dilutes that message for me. So that is not something I'm interested in doing at the moment.
1: Cool. Um, we got to start wrapping up. Uh, Stephanie, did you have any, anything else you want to ask before I start uh, wrapping things up?
4: Yeah, just a quick question. Okay. Um, Nightmare Library was huge for me. That's what introduced me to Joe Lansdale and David J. Scow and Lisa <clears throat> Tuttle and people I still love. Is do you have any plans for bringing back Nightmare Library or anything that focuses on horror literature?
3: Um, well. Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, there's there's uh, as I say with a quarterly, it makes it hard to review books because right. that book's been out by the time we would get a preview copy and be able to review it and go to print, that book is probably has gone from hardcover to paperback. So reviews are going to be tougher, but we are exploring uh, ways to feature fiction excerpts, and we are exploring ways to sort of feature horror writers of, you know, writers of horror fiction in, in a, in a way that's organic to the quarterly. I want to hear from them. I don't know that we're reviewing them.
4: Okay. Great. So we're
3: we're looking into that stuff. Yeah.
1: So Phil, where can people go? So, so by the time they're hearing this, uh, they can, they can subscribe. What all, if we can just, I guess, review what all entails a subscription. Also uh, those Fangoria pins are, badass and are are those going to be available what's the plan i mean you know i
3: can't i i i I, this is just me being a dork but like (laughs) i can't tell you how excited i am about those pins i was sitting with my my friend melissa k and she Mm -hmm. said you could have the the old magazine cover of the backing card and i was like
1: (laughs) that's a genius (laughs) idea it's so genius i have
3: to i have to hook her up um and then so i evolved that idea into like what if it was four covers and three of them had the red logo and one of them had the yellow and then you, you don't know which one you're getting. And like the guys at Fright Rags made exactly what I had in my head. Mm-hmm. I described it to them. I described it to a lot of people who didn't understand what I was talking about. And then the Fright Rags guys got it. And, mm-hmm. and that's why, that's why they're selling our stuff. man. Awesome. They, they killed it. Um, those, ma- those pins are so great. I can't wait to get them. People have them online. I don't have them yet. I'm jealous.
1: I need to, um, I need to place an order for sure. Get
3: Get them in there because they only made three hundred and fifty Yeah, yeah. Um, you know the magazine. You want to know about subscribing to the magazine?
1: Sure. Yeah. So that, but, but yeah, before sure. we sign off, we need to make, <laughs> make sure people burn into their ear holes. Uh, how the hell to, to get to your hands anything. on this? Yeah. On you're going to go to
3: yeah, you're going to go to Fangoria.com, and it is uh, it is a quarterly subscription. Each issue is a hundred pages. So you sign up for a year subscription, you're going to get four hundred pages of Fangoria that comes out to. You. It's a sixty dollars subscription, and that comes out to fifteen cents a page. Which, if you look at the other mags that are happening out there, everybody's doing a great job. I think I think our price is pretty competitive.
1: Yeah, that was around the ballpark I was thinking it would be anyway. That I'm like, yeah, I'm totally going to pay that. That's no, that's no problem.
3: Yeah. Our cover price, which which is another one I'm going to take care of for, is nineteen
4: seventy nine. Because <laughs> Oh, there you go.
3: Get it, <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> but. Don't buy the cover price. Buy the subscription. It's yeah. it's going to be uh it, it's more cost effective that way and it's we're putting a lot of ass into this thing and it's going to be worth it. I promise. Awesome.
1: Phil, thank you for joining us. Uh, of course, go to fangoria.com for all of your Fangoria needs. Thanks, Phil. Look forward to talking again soon. All right. Joining us on the screencast is uh, a man who's been doing horror films independently for for quite some time. Uh, I want to say, a, as of now, a few decades. Uh, Todd Sheets joins us on the screencast. Todd, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
1: So, first of all, both of you, so Brad, oh, Brad's on the, on the call too. <laughs> I need to introduce Brad here. <laughs> Hello. Yay. <laughs> Brad's, Brad's driving home for work. Uh so we're hoping he's Skyping safely uh on his Bluetooth, which I'm sure he is. Um I wanted to get your guys' reactions before we get going here on the, the full on interview. Uh what are your guys' thoughts? Uh Todd, you especially on the, the rise of Fangoria coming back. Um I guess uh their first issue will be in in October.
2: Cool. That's uh that's exciting. I'm I'm you know, Fangoria is like a a major deal for me because back in the day when uncle Bob was, you know, in the editor and they were putting, you know, zombie on the cover and and we had Godzilla and, you know, stuff like that. Those, those were, those were like the issues that were influential to me because I was kind of a famous monsters kid. And I grew up with famous monsters of film land. And, and I really, you know, that was kind of my thing. And Fory, you know, I thought there's no magazine. that's going to be that good, but I I actually really enjoyed Pangoria And I really thought it was an interesting, different take, on the same subject matter, Forey had his version of, you know, horror cinema and what he promoted. And then we had, you know, Fangoria and they promoted the, the wild, crazy stuff from overseas, the Italian horror and things that i had been seeing at the drive in and, and sometimes the indoor theaters, of, you know, now we call them grindhouses. But back then they were just like the indoor drive in kind of. So that's kind of what was going on.
1: Brad, and any thoughts from you? I haven't talked to you in a while.
5: Yeah, I know. I guess it was like 1995 I really got into like uh, picking up uh, Fangoria at a like local bookstore they had the magazines and um, my mom would pick one up when she when she went because she was really into like country decorating at a time so like those country living magazines she would like pick up in like the better housekeeping and shit like that and when she was there I would say hey can you pick me up an issue at Fangoria. So I, I never like really subscribed, but I was uh, constantly getting uh, copies um, as much as I could, and um, it was just something that turned me on to new things and you know reading about people that I worshipped and, and loved and got to get more intimate with them. I guess you could say it felt like because I mean when we were growing up, we didn't have you know commentaries and shit like that. I mean, we just, so it's kind of a better insight in that fashion, and uh, you know it was always kind of a dream to, you know, uh, get the new new issue and, and learn more about these people. And now you know it's coming back, and I'm sure we'll we'll get more of that. Um, it's just cool to, to actually see Van come back because was such a staple in uh, a lot of our, uh, you know, for people like me, their childhood, and of course filmmakers, it was just, you know something a lot of amazing issues too. Uh, so it was just something that,
1: uh, that they had to with them todd i wanted to talk a little bit before we get going talking about um Bone Hill road and, and congratulations by the way see that it, it won at the uh the the best feature film over at bloody horror international film festival so congratulations on that
2: thank you thank you yeah it's it's, it's pretty exciting you know uh all the film festivals have just been so receptive. It kind of started with House of Forbidden Secrets, my comeback movie in 2012. And we had a lot of film festivals show that. And then um, Bone Hill Road just kind of, you know, is continuing the tradition because Dreaming Purple Neon, the movie that we did right before this uh, Bone Hill Road film, right after House of Forbidden Secrets, we did Dreaming Purple Neon. It went to 77 film festivals. We won awards everywhere. And I was just like freaking out about how much people we're embracing this stuff because it's kind of old school, you know, we don't use CGI and we do uh, a lot of practical gore effects and things like that just to keep it kind of feeling like the movies I grew up loving, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was pretty proud of the, the fact that this movie's doing that as well. And, and it's staying on the path. We had a really good screening in Hollywood. Um, people just really, really responded to the film there. And uh, it was just really, it, it's been really, really Awesome the amount of support people are giving these movies and like with Bonehill Road, you know, we really that movie I, it was so difficult to make because of the fact that we had full wolf suits. We had like five of them and uh they were made by um Midnight uh studios and the thing was these, these are these suits are just so expensive, you know, and then the heads came from England. And when you put all the suits together and the different heads and everything, it was like around four grand a suit, around around $3,500 plus shipping charges and all that. So, you know, to have that many suits on the budget we had, which was, you know, we had a successful Indiegogo, but it was low budget, you know, and uh, we did this movie including bringing in some genre icons like Gary Kent and uh, Linnea Quigley and and making this film with our passion really because we had like $13,000 or so at the time to make the movie. And we did it
1: i don't know how we did it but we did well and that's what's pretty incredible with the 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 practical effects and i was going to mention those those you know the werewolf suits are look look great i mean i'm always a fan of the the werewolves in a suit i'm a huge fan of, of dog soldiers and and how they brought that in incorporated that in that film and um and just seeing you know the I don't know, there's something a little more terrifying, I guess, if you know that the, it's they're right there with the actors. <laughs>
2: it's true, yeah. Yeah, 100%. 100%, I agree. CGI, no matter how good it is, it just doesn't seem like it really feels real because it's not real. I mean, the actors are not interacting with these creatures, and when you have people in suits, if you do it right and you film it right, which takes a lot of practice, <laughs> then uh, it can really turn out much better because it feels like it's more organic and these actors really have something to act with in the scene, you know?
5: So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love Bone Hill Road. It definitely felt like a step up for Todd for the, for the, some of the past films he's done um, as far as, like, uh, budget and just dealing with things. I mean, just... It's just more intricate, I guess. Uh, so it's it's fun to see a filmmaker grow even more, even after all this time. You know, discovering him like in the '90s. Uh, I would say probably like around '97 is when I very first saw Zombie Bloodbath, and uh, uh, that's just something that I I truly love, uh, and it just kind of just grew grew old with that.
2: Wow! Wow! that's the greatest compliment you can get really. And that's really the key. Um, If you don't grow with every project, what's the point of doing it? Mm. You know, I I feel like a film where you don't learn something is a, is a a wasted opportunity. And um, really, you know, that's kind of the way I feel about everyday living. I mean, every day is a learning experience. And if you don't learn something that day, I feel like I've wasted that day. So I completely understand, you know, what you're saying about trying to grow with each film, like with dreaming purple neon, I saw us take a huge leap forward in a lot of areas. And uh, the funny thing about that movie is, you know, here it is hitting you know, film festivals everywhere. It's doing all this stuff and, and we're getting things out there and people are loving this movie. And I'm like, that movie cost around thirty five hundred dollars. You know, and it was on credit cards. <laughs> and uh, then at the end of the day, you know, it, it went up a little bit because we were buying promotional stuff and getting banners made and, you know, things to take with us on the film festivals and, and for the tours and it ended up being around five grand at the end of the day but only 3,500 was actual production costs and stuff and then the rest was like after the fact so it was really interesting to see the reaction to that and to show that we could do this much you know entertainment on that amount of money and it kind of blew a lot of minds because we also showed that you know not only at film festivals but we took it on theaters too and we took it to LA and we had a big deal there and people were like, How, what the hell are you doing? You know, this is ridiculous that you're able to do this on, but it's because of the amount of passion, amount of heart, the hard work of the crew and the cast. Mm-hmm. See, you know, I, my name gets out there a lot as the director, but and it also, I also get to blame if the movie sucks. But <laughs> at the same time, the cast and the crew make all of it possible and uh, they work so hard, you know, and none of us take a salary, you know, mm-hmm. we're all there. Pouring hours and hours into this stuff, and like for for Dream and Purple Neon, you know that was six months of of production, and then you know the 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 pre-production, then the production itself, and post-production work. It took even longer, and so that movie was you know nine months of my life, and then we get it out there, you know. And um, House of Forbidden Secrets was two years of my life, just because that's how long it took to get it where we needed it to be. And Bone Hill Road, we did it pretty quick. We kind of got this to where you know, we started at the end of June. This movie was in theaters at Halloween. You know, um, we were like we were busting our asses to get that done. Uh, but um, you know, we had some setbacks at the beginning that pushed our start date a little later than we wanted. So we really, really hit it full on in July and August, and then uh, ended it up in September. Did some shooting in L.A. here in the Midwest, and then we, um, you know, finished it up. Uh, I was still editing like the week of the premiere <laughs> just to, just to get it all done. So it's one of those things where, you know, I was, I was basically living that movie every moment of my life and, and to hear what, you know, you guys had to say about this, these films just, just warms my heart because ultimately that's the ultimate thing we do it for is yeah. for people to enjoy it. Cause God knows we're not getting rich here. We're just <laughs> following our dreams and trying to give back to the genre that we love. And, that's exactly what's happening when I hear people say how much they love the films. That's, yeah. that's what it's all about for me.
1: I want to talk about Clownado in just a little bit, but I want um, I wanted to give it give it a chance. Where can people check out Bonehill Road and your previous films? Where's the easiest place for them to kind of get their hands on them or, or even view them?
2: Yeah, well, all the old films, uh, you know, they're they're being reissued by Wild Eye Releasing. The older stuff, the stuff before before I was in the hospital with my heart attack and everything. That's like, um, pre 2012 stuff. That's, and I was out for a few years because one of my friends was killed and and it just was a really rough time for me. I was raising two kids and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to concentrate on this radio show I was doing. And that not, you know, I just didn't have enough of me to go around at the moment. So the stuff from 2012 on, you know, it's coming out, uh, House of Forbidden Secrets is coming out from Unearthed Films who also just released, Dreaming Purple Neon in 2017. You can pick that up anywhere. You, know, you can search for it out there on Amazon or Google. You know, it always pops up. Bone Hill Road will be coming out through Wild Eye Releasing and uh, his uh, MBD and those guys, his uh, different sub distributors, that'll all be coming out in the fall around Halloween. And the reason is because we're still doing the theatrical tour, we're still doing the you know, the, uh, we're still doing film festivals and all that. And they don't want to have, they won't take a movie usually that's already out on video. So we kind of give it some time to, to, to live because I think, in a theater is really where these films belong, if at all possible to experience them the way I did when I was a kid, you know, you, you go and watch a crazy monster flick and and there's not very many of those anymore. So any opportunity I have to have people see it in that environment with other horror fans where they can enjoy it and laugh and scream and have a good time that's why we kind of do that. So those are all coming out. Uh, and then we've got like, like I said, the original catalog of stuff, you know, I disowned a lot of the stuff I made before 1993 because it was pretty awful. And I was just a kid and I got really mean, mean, (laughs) mean people attacking me, telling me if I ever picked up a camera again, they'd kill my mother. This really happened. Oh Uh, these guys were just really mean. I was like, look, I'm just a kid. Those were me and my friends out making movies. And David Dakota was my mentor and he gave me a chance to release these films worldwide probably something i shouldn't have done but i'm really thankful that i did because um (laughs) it it taught me a lot it's also taught me how cruel and evil people could be but uh but it's you know what it helped me grow even though it hurt it it helped me grow it made me say you know what i need to learn to do better at this and to do better at that so that the films are better and i'm not feeling like a jerk so uh so that, you know, everything in your life, I think, is an evolving process. And that was something that was. And but from 1993 on, I pretty much accept all those movies. And I, I'm, I'm happy with, it. like you said, Zombie Bloodbath, kind of what I consider my first real movie, even though I'd made seven or eight before that. That's the one I consider my first real film. And it's coming back out. Mm-hmm. This is the actual 25th anniversary of Zombie Bloodbath. We're trying to get something out for that some kind of a Blu-ray deal and make it kind of special. And then, um, there's a lot of other stuff coming down the road. All that old catalog will be hitting, uh, at the end of this year and going into next year. And, and, uh, cause there's a lot of titles. I mean, there's like 15 movies. so yeah. It'll take a while.
1: <laughs> so, uh, clownado. So you have at, at this time that we're recording, we have nine days left for the Indiegogo campaign. By the time people hear this, there'll be seven days left. So, um, what's, uh, now just the title alone is selling me. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> what's uh what's what what is Clownado about?
2: Well Clownado is first of all, it's not a comedy. Uh, even though it's got this crazy okay. title. But the title I think is the hook here. Uh because it's kinda like yeah, people are gonna think it's like I've had people say it's either a rip off of Sharknado or it's a rip off of it, or it's a rip off <laughs> of this or that. It's absolutely not. It's an original idea that's really kind of different. Um the we it was a it was really more of a jokey thing uh, uh a maintenance guy here at the studio uh that's a, a friend of mine um was joking around about titles and i was already i already had a script about clowns and this is one that i've had for mm-hmm. you know 15 years but um kind of the thing with bone hill road that sucker was 20 years but i you know as i'm sitting here and i'm mm-hmm. and i'm you know hearing him speak you know, talk about these titles, he rattles off Clownado and my, my light bulb just went off. And I was like, man, I love that. I love that. We could really do something with that. Maybe I could mix that with this other movie and I've got an idea of how it could work. And, um, his name's Daryl. And, and so I turned to Daryl and I said, you know what? I absolutely love that. We might be able to do something with that. And so one of the other ones was Zika zombies, which I thought was funny. But uh, the Sharknado thing just really clicked with me. And I said, you know, I, I really, something about that rolls off the tongue. And so I took this older script and I looked at it and I was like, this actually could work. So I had an idea. It's more of a supernatural idea of how this all happens. And it's, even though, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, it's a horror movie. You know, I figure if, if you can believe that, you know, a Crystal Lake killer could come back from the bottom of a lake, you could probably believe in what we're doing in Clownado. It's, 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 it's more based on black magic and supernatural stuff and, the thing that happens and it's kind of got a noir base to it, the film noir kind of thing, which I love. Um, And what I mean by that is it, you know, it's not got like gumshoes running around in black and white and all that popping off Tommy guns, but (laughs) it's, it's got that, that lighting style and the style of, of dialogue where it's kind of fast paced, bam, bam, something's always happening. And it's got a mystery that's kind of unraveling at the same time. And it's just nonstop carnage. I mean, this thing is, is you know, my, my goriest film I ever made is Dreaming Purple Neon, and this probably is going to be right behind that. In terms of gore, it's, it's really, really pushing the boundaries of a lot of things that people have never seen before, I promise. So it's a really interesting idea. It's It's got scary stuff in it. It's got dark humor in it, but um, it's definitely not like a, a comedy. The over-the-top gore is, is there too, so that kind of pushes the boundaries. So it's got a lot of these elements that I think will – Really um surprise people, especially if they're looking at it like a joke. Awesome. When they see it, I think it's going to be more like, "Wow, this is actually." What I, my hope is is they watch it, go, "Wow, this is actually a good movie with a decent story," as opposed to, "God, that movie was schmaltzy and crappy." You know, I want it to be more like the opposite. I want to surprise people when they watch it. So I, I'm hoping that's what we can do.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, you had a, a 3500, uh I guess, flex goal. You surpassed that, and and and. Uh, and, it, and we're keeping it going here. So, um,
2: yeah, I appreciate that because originally, see, we we had two campaigns: we had the GoFundMe and we had the Indiegogo. And the reason why uh, is I asked the fans, the horror fans out there, and and the people who you know support us. I said, what you know, who I don't consider, I don't, I'm not worthy of fans. I, I definitely like friends is a better <laughs> word. Yeah. Um, but um, all of our friends out there said, you know, you should do both because that you know some people are comfortable with one, some people are comfortable with the other do both. And so I did. And we were hoping to raise around 10. So I thought, well, I'll do 35 on Indy and I'll do seven over here. And GoFundMe has stalled. I mean, I don't know. No one likes it. I don't know what's going on, but they're like, we got like a thousand, <laughs> you know, maybe a thousand, 200 or oh, something. Man. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't like GoFundMe. I'm like, wow, that's weird. So after I was told to use it, no, no one wants to use it. So I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we did meet our goal on Indy. Okay. We could use a lot more. Um, I'd love for people to go there and, and help us and keep this thing rolling because um, luckily we'll be able to go in okay. demand, and and I'd love to see it. You know, I'd love to see more support there.
1: So so the Indiegogo is going to be done in – in from that People are listening in seven days, but the GoFundMe is going to keep on going?
2: Uh, well, I think both of them will, will I, if we meet our goal on Indiegogo, they, they allow us to go into the in-demand okay. thing where it kind of goes longer. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm hoping that that'll, that'll happen as well. Okay. Yeah.
1: Awesome. You got a lot of really fun uh, uh, perks and everything, uh, as well as a, there's a, a Blu-ray and, and a poster Uh, all all that stuff so well I'm going to make sure we put this in in the show notes so everyone can click on these and support
5: something you said Todd before and and, you know it's just something as a fan um, is that you know you said you made those films and you got like death threats and people are going to kill family members and stuff if it wasn't for um, seeing some of your films I wouldn't have got into independent like really independent horror like you know like so it's not, We're not talking about, like, B-grade stuff. We're talking about even lower than that, like, you know, picking up a video camera and just filming stuff. I, that's what inspired me to even be more of a filmmaker is watching, you know. Like I said, like, I got what, – what, how it all happened, I'll go to a story here, I guess. Which is that um, I got into uh, – I bought a bootleg of Olaf Netbox Immune uh, um, uh, the you know last fallen angel, I, right? Uh, yeah, I picked that up and it was a, it was a bootleg because it wasn't really available around around that time that I originally saw it. And uh, someone spliced together some trailers in the beginning of of uh, of the tape, and one of them was the zombie bloodbath. And um, I remember picking up the Prometheus and seeing that, and then I told my mom I was like because I would, you know buying stuff like on eBay and things like that. And I found a copy of, like, Zombie Blood. I think it was even Zombie Blood Bass too. I don't even think it was the first one. Um, you know, I, fa- I found it on VHS for, like, 20 bucks, and I begged my mom to get it because I really wanted to see this movie. And, uh, you know, she went ahead and, you know, uh, helped, helped me purchase it, and that's kind of like the Todd Sheep, uh, you know, train that I got on and, um, and and watched her stuff ever since. So Wow. So, f- seeing those as, as a kid, I mean, I, I'm only 33, so... 95, 96, 97 around that time, you know, like I said, I was only like 13 years old, uh, when I was watching like zombie bloodbath and stuff. So as as a filmmaker, that stuff really inspired me. So, you know, if you got a death threat or 10 death threats or 20 death threats, just remember like one of the reasons why I'm doing what I do is partially because of you. So, uh, thank you. I know this isn't like, this is supposed to be an interview, but it's just mainly (laughs) (laughs) me. Um. But, yeah, I, I really got into that. And, you know, it got me in a lot of other, uh, filmmakers. You know, uh, like I said, uh, you know, all on that spot. And then I got into, like, Meat Market. I'm sure you've seen that. you're, you're probably oh yeah, love Meat Market. But, yeah, I got into Meat Market and shit like that. It just kind of the whole that, all that route. And, you know, even J.R. Bookwalter, that's how I got into that shit, too. Um, you know, so any shot on video stuff, anything like that, I was, I, I got in because of watching, um, Films like that, but I did. I did have one question, um, and you, you're going to know, you know, coming from somebody else that maybe not be a fan. I think you'll understand this a little bit better. Coming from a fan and understanding what you do, that you've been in the game for so goddamn long, um, and it's such an inspiration for a lot of people to see. But you, like you said, you're not making millions of dollars. You're barely making any money. for some of this, stuff. and you still never gave up. And obviously, it's because of passion. But what, what about that just keeps you going aside from passion? Because, I mean, passion's always every filmmaker's thing. But, like, what keeps you going, constantly making even sequels upon sequels and, like, just keeps on making movies?
2: I think they, they describe it as clinical insanity. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, in all honesty, it's hearing what I just heard from you. It's, uh, it's hearing things like that. Because when I was in the hospital, I, I thought I was going to die there. I was in there for 31 days. I had open heart surgery and quadruple bypass surgery on my heart. I've never drank or done drugs or anything. It was just genetic, right? Because I'm a nerd. I don't do any of that stuff. But it it was genetic. And uh, when I was in that hospital, you know, it's people like you that kept me going there. Because, like, they started a fan club for me on Facebook. I didn't even know about it. Uh, Brandon Bennett, Thomas. Brudensky, Matt Hill, these guys started this fan club. I had no idea people loved these movies like what you just said. Uh, You know, it was harder then to, to kind of get that information. So I kind of... Really got inspired by that. And I'm still inspired by that. I'm inspired by what I hear. I really, truly do want to give back to the genre that I love and that has done so much for me. Like when I had a terrible day uh, as a kid, you know, a bad day at school. You got in a fight with your friends. You got in a fight with your parents, whatever. I'd go to the movie. I'd escape for 90 minutes, you know. Uh, movies like, like you know, there's a million of them. Slythus and and Phantasm and and the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies and Suspiria and uh, especially Fulci, you know, all his stuff. All this stuff really helped me. It made me have a better, uh, a better day. It made me have a better week. Sometimes, uh, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you got a broken home. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of people to turn to, so they became something I could turn to is going and watching these fantastical films, these imaginative crazy movies. And, um, I just really enjoyed the art of it all and, and how, how it took you away from things. This this filmmaker created a whole universe. And that's what I had hoped to do myself when I fell in love with this stuff. And I was making Frankenstein epics at, you know, 12 years old on super eight film. I wanted it to all, you know, I I wanted to give back. And, And that's really what keeps me going is, you know, I do have a passion, a love for it, and, and I do uh, have some. I think there is a bit of insanity involved because I think you have to be crazy to keep banging your head against the wall this many years. And there have been high points, and there have been low points. And Zombie Bloodbath was a huge high point. You know, a lot of people mention that we did like back then. The VHS thing was hitting hard, and we did like thirty-five thousand copies of that thing worldwide. It was a huge, a success which saved my butt because all the other movies were flops. So up until then, all my investors were (laughs) like, are we ever going to see any money? And that movie saved my ass. And I was able to give everybody their money back. And, and, uh, but yet, you know, I, I made enough to buy some new equipment and that's what I do is I pour the money back into the company and buy more equipment and keep, keep trying to do better. And, and you're right. You know, it's, it's absolutely sometimes very daunting. And sometimes I I keep saying, I'm going to retire, but I, I can't really retire because I love it too much, which is, it, it's a, its own form of sickness I think but at the same time uh it's, it's much healthier for me to do this than I can think of a lot of people doing a lot of worse things so
0: yeah don't ever retire until like <laughs> I'm know, trying not, not to able to make movies anymore that would be <laughs> that'd be uh great but yeah um I mean if anybody yeah. can find out like I know uh like you said wild Eye is working on um some stuff so I'm hoping people will look forward to that because I am and uh you know, it's just something about reissues. And like I said, a lot of your films was almost impossible to find. I mean, when getting, as a young kid, getting into this stuff in the mid-90s, it was fucking difficult. Like, I mean, now we have, like, you know, Monster Squad and Return of Living Dead at our fingertips. But even back then, those movies were incredibly hard to find.
2: Um, sometimes, sometimes, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, most of the next to impossible. Like, people are like, what? Return of Living Dead? I was like, yeah, that movie was... Almost impossible to find back in the day. So, um,
2: (laughs) yeah. But yeah. It's true. So that's true. Things were different. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, that's the thing is with the internet, things are more readily available and stuff. And people can keep up with things easier. Like if you join the Facebook group for Todd Sheets, that fan club that they made, it's on there. And I'm actually a part of it. And I I post things there first. So people get like the first news there. And also, I'm on Facebook. People can ask to be my friend. And I, I pretty much accept everybody. Sometimes I wonder why because I get weird spam from like Indonesia, <laughs> but I accept everyone, <laughs> yes. you know, and uh, and it's really, you know, it's the way it is, you know, I, and I'm open to everybody. You know, I'm always open to talk about anything, if anyone always – like right now, I'm still finishing the Indiegogo stuff for Bonehill because it was so overwhelmingly positive, and I'm still finishing sending all that out, and people – you know, they're like, well, where's my package? And I'm always very open to talk to them about, it. hey, man, you know, here's where I'm at. This is what we're doing. You know, I'm doing most of it by myself, and I'm filling in you know, over 600 packages with all these perks. So just work with me. And, uh, you know, and everyone's like, hey, this is great. We can't believe you're actually responding yourself. And I said, well, how else would you do it? You know, there's no committee here. Right. This is This is me and you, and that's how we do it, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, most people don't fulfill. That's the trick. Oh. <laughs> You're one of the I've ones been hearing
2: that. that. <laughs> yeah, I've
1: yeah,
0: been, a been lot hearing of people all do that. that. Don't do anything. It gets
1: tough. Todd, I want to uh, thank you for, for chatting with us today. I know that um, I'm really excited to see Clownado. Uh, I'm really excited for people to be able to see uh, Bonehill Road a lot you know, have that more accessible to them. So yeah, check it out. It's 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 a lot of fun if you dig where, werewolf flicks. Uh, you'll definitely there's a lot to bite onto. There you go. <laughs> this one bad <laughs> bad pun intended. Uh, some really great practical effects um, and just just. Just a, just a, and it's a wild ride too. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be, it's a little bit of a, of a roller coaster ride. You, this, this one point in the movie, you're like, wow, it kind of changes focus a little bit. But then, uh, it, I, don't know, I was, I was, this hit some unexpected notes, which was, which was a lot of fun for me, uh, watching it. So, check that out. Everyone, keep your eyes open for that. Um, Todd, thank you for joining us on the streamcast. And I'm, I'm hoping we talk again soon.
2: I would love that. Thank you very much. It's an honor. <laughs>
1: Well, that is it for this episode of the Screamcast. I want to thank all of you for listening. I especially want to thank our Club Scum members for joining on Patreon and uh, giving us a couple bucks a month. We really couldn't do the show without you. It really does help pay for new equipment, software. And Anything that we need to run this So it, it has helped a lot this year Especially as I've been kind of growing Screamingpods.com So I want to thank all of you guys for doing that uh, We'll be doing a drawing very very soon And as you've noticed You have gotten a few perks And I'm not going to I'm not going to spill the beans But uh, you know it's This next episode We're covering uh, the movie Link And let's just say that uh, A lot of you Club Scum members are going to be in on the conversation, uh, a little more than other people. So, uh, a lot of perks with, uh, with being a member of club scum, of course you get a membership card and, uh, you know, as we move along this year, I do, there's a lot more we want to do. We're, we're just so busy with our <laughs> personal lives and jobs. Uh, it's hard to really do anything extra as far as podcasting goes, but we, we have some tricks up our sleeves and we'll be doing some some more stuff, some special things this year with our Club Scum members. So I want to thank all of you guys for being a part of that. Uh, you know who you are. Please check out our store. We have some merch. If you go to thescreamcast.com, you click on store, it takes you to the screamingpods.com score. Club Scum members get a 20%, it's 20% discount. It's 25% discount. They get a discount. On any of the Screamcast merchandise so we have, some stickers and some mugs and some magnets. And also, if you go to the Screaming Threads link over at thescreamcast.com, you can get some uh, pins that Brad, uh, that Brad Henderson, uh, helped create. And uh, he's really trying to unload the uh, the Suspiria pin. Please spread the word and get uh, let, let's get that off his hands. I want to thank all of our sponsors, Wolfman of Mars. For the music, Kevin Spencer for the design. Please check out Coffee Shop of Horrors. If you use the code SCREAMCASH you get a ten percent discount. Also, GrindhouseVideo.com. Check them out. They do a really good job of getting you the new releases, sometimes a little bit early. And make sure you follow him on Facebook. And yeah, I know that uh, Mike does a. I think it's a, I think it's a weekly Facebook video and he lets everyone know what's coming in and what's been announced and free orders and all that so if you follow him on social media there especially facebook you definitely would be in the know as far as new releases and he kind of breaks things down all right uh that's gonna do it for this week's episode we'll talk to all of you very soon like i said covering the film link mon 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 monsters and the gate 2 talk to all of you next
2: time Oh, don't tell me you're leaving. The party's just begun.